It is great to have Dr. Scott Lee with us today to join the podcast. And Scott and I have known each other for quite some time. Scott has worked with our company to help provide resources and perspective. And most recently, one of the reasons uh, that I really wanted to have you on the podcast, Scott, is because you're doing your own podcast and you're really focusing a lot on the voices of teachers that just don't hear enough from in this country because you've been involved in defining us and you're aware of all the things that we're trying to do through the platform. You know, one of the biggest things we want to do is lift up the voice of educators in a time where we feel like they really need to be part of the national dialogue. And, you know, with over 3 million teachers out there caring for our young students every day, I think it's really important to talk to folks like you who have kind of a finger on the pulse of what's going on in that population. So I want to talk a little bit more and give everybody updates on how they can get to your podcast at the end of our session today and make sure we also let teachers know where they can find you. But I want to get started first with just a little bit of your history. Tell us a little bit about you and why you got into this and designed and developed a podcast that is about teachers and for teachers. Well, thank you so much. I'm uh, excited to be here talking with you today, Stacy, and appreciate the opportunity. I got started in education as a graduate student uh, back in 1990, and it was just sort of an exciting time to get involved in the education business because there was seemed to be such a need, particularly in public schools, for uh, people willing to go into teaching. And just it seems like there were a lot of people and a lot of interest among young people at the time. You know, and I thought, well, if nothing else, it'd be fun to be one of those cool young teachers that all the all the students like, just be a lot of fun. And so I got into it sort of for that reason. I, it just seemed like it would be more fun and interesting than anything else that I was thinking about as a history major in college. So I became a history and social studies teacher and baseball coach and had worked in uh, middle schools for a couple of years. And then toward the end of the school year, got a call to come to the principal's office after school. And, you know, sometimes that's not so bad, but it was unplanned and and I was kind of surprised by it. So went in there and heard those awful dreaded words, reduction in force. But then I ended up moving on to a residential alternative school. And the focus was very different there. It was much more about working with the term we used at the time was uh, troubled or uh, difficult students. The purpose was really to help them learn the kind of skills to be able to go back to their homes and their schools and learn new skills and learn new ways to get along both with each other, uh, with their peers, with their families, and interact in different ways with the community. And I begin to really understand that a lot of what I had been taught about what's important and how kids learn and child and youth development was not quite right. It was really more about developing the relationship. You know, that's what motivates people. That doesn't mean that you never put a gold star on a paper or you never have to suspend a student or whatever, but those are the kinds of things that 
are oftentimes overused and a lot of people never take that next step, which is developing that positive uh, relationship. What are you hearing from the field right now, Scott, and how much pushback, if any, do you think you're getting or you're hearing from teachers about how we're delving in now to these topics? And those topics are really becoming not a secondary piece of the job, but a primary piece of the job. What's Mm -hmm. your, what's your sense of things? One of the things that I continue to work on whenever I'm talking with teachers and working with teachers uh, directly is that academic learning doesn't work unless you also are including these social emotional learning skills. It just doesn't happen. It's not as, or it doesn't work as well. And the research bears that out. But I'll tell you, as far as what I'm hearing from teachers, it, it is very concerning to me. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The first thing that's concerning is something that's been growing for easily the last 30 or 40 years. And this has been consistent within the research. Over a five-year period, half of all teachers that start teaching leave the profession. And that's been a consistent number for at least 30 years. And the answer to that oftentimes is just recruiting more people to start teacher education programs or alternative licensure programs, all very good things. But if we were having the same problem amongst engineers or amongst nurses or physicians, I mean, our society might end as we know it. People would understand that it's a crisis and there has not really been any serious national strategy to deal with that. So we've already had problems. You know, over the past summer, teachers reported enormous levels of stress. Education Week did a survey and 91% are reporting higher levels of stress or being always stressed at work. You know, Scott, I think this is so interesting because if you kind of step back and boil it down, I'm so glad we are doing this podcast because I think we have an opportunity in this podcast to get to some real specifics and details about what goes on in a teacher's day that when we hear media criticizing education or we hear people talking about whether or not the teachers union and whether or not teachers are willing to come back to school and what does that mean and they don't want to get sick. I mean, you hear all this chatter mm-hmm. of assumptions and accusations about what's happening in the life of a single teacher. And I think it is imperative that we start to shine a light on what is happening in the life of a teacher. And when I hear you talk about it, I think about three C's. I want to see if you agree with this. Teachers are struggling now more than ever before with stress and anxiety. Some of the percentages that you just gave, they're leaving the field in droves. But there are really three issues. There's COVID, there's communication issues, which I want to get to today. And then there's issues of control because a teacher has to be able to control their classroom. Mm-hmm. And in COVID, that's difficult. It is the same problem, you know, from kindergarten through 12th grade, and even some college teachers are having some problems with that as they've had to go completely online and how that changes. But particularly for K-12 is really so much at the heart of where we talk about what you're talking about with control and, and having a control in the classroom. And for people who may not be educators, when I use the term control, I try, I try and focus when I'm working with teachers. That does not mean you're 
authoritarian, except in those instances where you absolutely have to. Control is authoritative, and it should be democratic and earned as much as possible. And that goes back to helping kids develop the norms and helping develop those rituals that make school possible. But yeah, if you miss a year or you go remote for even a few weeks, especially when it happens in an emergency, you just have to be ready for things are going to be different when we come back. And oftentimes policymakers have not been listening to teachers to allow that. Teachers are feeling the stress of why is the expectation the same now as it was in 2018 when we have more that's interfering with every single thing we do every single day. And I think that we look for people to blame Mm -hmm. when we are in difficult times because they're difficult. People are unsure. And for some reason, it seems that schools and teachers and school systems have become sort of a scapegoat in this environment and a holding ground for all the (laughs) diverse opinions and paradoxes associated with social justice issues. Mm -hmm and with social and emotional learning issues and equity issues. And so that causes an extra layer for teachers because you can't really have a relationship unless you can openly communicate and address a child and meet a child where they are. And now teachers are being told in some districts there are certain things they cannot speak about. They don't Mm -hmm. know what they can talk about, what they can't talk about. Talk to me a little bit about that. You know, part of the problem is the process. And we have to understand that issues that face our society also are happening in schools. And I'll I'll give you an example. A guest I had on my podcast last fall, Malcolm Gilliard. He's an African-American teacher in Clark County, which is Las Vegas. And After the killing of George Floyd, students of his were asking him if he was afraid of that happening to him. And he's got to have a discussion with his students about this. And he should have a discussion with his students about this. And in some places, he could run the risk of losing his license over that now. So there's just so many little bits and pieces of all of these cultural issues that are affecting schools and affecting teachers and affecting how teachers work with their students on top of the COVID and on top of the fact that even before all of this, this was a job with high stress and comparatively lower pay for similarly credentialed professionals. And every teacher I talk to at some point is talking about throwing up their hands going, some days it's too much. For some people, that some days almost every day. And Scott, I want to ask you another thing, again, back to the relationship. I think a lot of people legitimately believe, and certainly we want to acknowledge these beliefs and, and hold them up and value these beliefs, that parents should be the primary teachers of social issues, of ethical issues, of you know morality, of, of value systems. But the reality is, is that there's a lot of kids who don't have parents in those roles. And in order for them to be high-functioning, productive members of society, in order for them to just want to focus and concentrate on math, they have to be able to have a discussion about the social issues that are impacting them with some adult. And sometimes the teacher's the only person in their lives they can do that with. Is that right? right? And that's 
hugely important because a lot of times, particularly students who, you know, who are questioning their sexuality, things like that. A lot of times the, the teacher that they know that they've developed a relationship with is the only person they feel comfortable discussing those issues with. Even if you think that that's wrong, wouldn't you still want your child to have a trusted adult that they could discuss that with? And right. sure, you might prefer it to be you, but yeah. if they don't want to discuss it with you, then they probably already know your opinion. And, you know, a teacher's not, not going to change their mind. Just because a teacher says something doesn't mean a student is automatically going to believe it anyway. Well, and here's the thing, Scott, and I think we can kind of come full circle here. Now, a student can go out and find any kind of content they want to. Right. Through the internet, through social media. I mean, it's not like telling teachers not to talk about things means they're not going to see it or hear about it somewhere else. As a matter of fact, I've had many administrators say to me by saying to them, we're not going to let you talk about this in school. They're going out and finding it. Right. Wondering what the debate is, wondering what the argument is. Mm -hmm. So really these bills, this idea of lawmakers getting involved in the day-to-day speech and conversation of a teacher in a classroom, it doesn't really do a whole lot to protect children. What it really does is actually hurt teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I'm asking that question because A, it clamps down their speech. B, it makes them nervous. C, it adds stress. D, it makes them fear for their jobs. And it sets up a lot of chaos because they don't really understand exactly what they can say and what they can't say. So it's a very interesting thing. It's sort of like an unintended consequence. We got out there and said, we're going to do this and we're going to protect children from things they might be learning in school that we don't think are appropriate, but school's not just about content anymore. Right. It's about relationships. School's about socialization because you can get content anywhere. It's kind of ironic because teachers really do have an understanding of what it is that they ought to be doing when they're working with kids. And there are fewer and fewer teachers who you find saying, oh, I teach history. I teach math teachers are becoming much more aware that I teach kids and the goals, even if it's strictly in a vocational sense to be career ready are all of those social emotional learning skills. It's how do I get along with people? It's how can I persist understanding what other people need and want when we interact And it's about having those interactions in a way that doesn't cause a fight. Those are the kinds of things that being college and career ready really are about. Those are the things that employers say they want schools to do. And yet we test on things that they don't need and then complain that schools aren't doing their jobs. You know, it's interesting, Scott, that you say that because in our documentary, Defining Us, we interviewed leading educators from across the country. Chief academic officer out of LA Unified said, you might think in my role as the chief academic officer, I am primarily about academics, but I'd say I'm primarily about the students, Mm -hmm. right? You know, so we hear what you are saying all the time. Mark Brackett, who wrote Permission to Mm -hmm. Feel, 
also makes the point of the documentary. He's out of Yale. And he said, you know, people lose their jobs most of the time because they can't get along with others, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a problem in the workplace that they're in the center of. Mm-hmm. And so it's a really interesting thing. And I think as the world evolves and as content is available through other venues outside of school, a part of what a teacher is doing is to give that content context. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be, here's the problem and here's what the other side of this issue, what the people are saying. Right. Now, how would you talk with somebody in a way that you don't agree with in a way that's, that's safe and respectful and learning those kinds of skills are again, so much more important than some of the more minute details that we oftentimes have to spend time working with kids on, even though that that's really what's secondary. And I think that is you know, kind of one of the problems, um, and it sort of opens, opens a really, you know, different conversation is what should the school look like in the 21st century? Oh, right, right. I mean, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're still having fights about what schools designed in the early 20th century should be doing now in the 21st century. And we're not even asking the correct questions. The correct question has nothing to do with critical race theory. Um, The correct question is, we know we have these problems and critical race theory deals with certain, you know, deals with these structures and policies that are in place, but that's, that exists and we need to acknowledge that. So how can we get along individually, mm-hmm. knowing that that's happening. Mm-hmm. That's the question mm-hmm. for that a 21st century school should be asking and that policymakers that are overseeing a 21st century school should be asking. The elected officials should be asking. And the problem with all of these is, you know, we're not even asking the right question. It goes back to uh, earlier podcast you had with Tim Shriver. You know, he's trying to get people to do exactly that. Mm-hmm. And that's really where schools should be at, the kinds of questions schools should be asking. Scott, I want to kind of wrap up with a couple of things. I want to get to, obviously, some information about you. But before that, we've talked a lot about the problem. If I'm an individual, educator or not, what do you think some of the solutions are? What can I do? What are some just basic specifics that are important that we all do every day? The first thing, and this is hard for all of us, is that we have to stop trying to find somebody to blame for whatever problem that we see and we think exists. We need to ask questions when we see a problem. First off, is this really a problem? Second of all, even if it is a problem, how can I have a discussion about it rather than just outlawed? As a society, we've done such a good job of getting people to universally think that bullying is bad in schools, for example. Even people who maybe think it's all right, it helps build character or whatever, they know they're in the minority and they generally don't try and defend practices like that. And, you know, we need to start thinking in those same terms when we look at 
schools and look for problems in schools. Is the real problem, whatever it might be, if I think it is, how would I explain that? How can I describe that in a way that's going to help me build consensus? That's one of the things I like about Tim Shriver's work. Everybody agrees we need to be building consensus more. School board meetings have become a place of great confrontation. And that has been a problem for years, and it's just gotten worse. People who I know personally, people who have given up being school board members because I just don't need that. I wanted to help kids. And all I hear about is people complaining about wanting books taken out of the library or cost too much money. You know, we need to ask the question. We need to come to some consensus on what's best for kids. What is a school like that keeps kids safe? What is a school like that helps kids be successful in the 21st century? As an individual, people need to start asking those kinds of questions and then figure out how can I encourage other people to be asking those questions? How can I not look for problems? How can I help groups of people find solutions? Well, and I think, Scott, to your point, it's really a very valuable one. What I love about the education industry, what I love about educators is at their core, their value system is one of encouragement to encourage each other and to encourage children. As somebody who works with educators on a daily basis, I find them to be some of the most encouraging people not just with students, but with their friendships and, and their colleagues. And I also find them to be a much more collaborative group. And so I think what I hear you saying is let's take a lead from the educators that we want to criticize from afar and understand who they are when we get to know them. Because the reality is, is that most of the educators I know, skills and values like encouragement and collaboration are part of their DNA. It's how they actually navigate life, much more so than other industries and other professional networks that are much more highly competitive and much more highly critical. I hear you offering some advice that educators actually do sort of as part of their daily operating process. Yeah, yeah. For, for an individual, I think it would go back to kind of, uh, you know, kind of what you're saying. Almost everybody remembers their best two or three teachers that they had. Right. Now, almost everybody remembers probably their worst two or three teachers too. But when you're faced with a problem in education, think about one of those great teachers you know of, and we all have had those experiences. What that great teacher would do, what questions would they ask? How would they approach whatever problem I think is happening within education and take that as your lead on how to solve the problem. What would they do? I love that. I think that's a great thing. You know, let the teachers lead us to a large mm -hmm. degree. And it, before we criticize, let's try to remember the impact they're having on individual students every day and literally saving lives. So mm -hmm. if you want to know more about what's going on in the world of teachers and how to really stay with your finger on the pulse of some of the issues and join the dialogue. Let's tell the listening audience how they can get in touch with you, Scott, and a little okay. bit about your podcast. Well, the podcast is called the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast. 
and it is available on almost any app you use, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and also on our website, which is www.thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com, all one word, no hyphens, no spaces. And every podcast has a set of show notes, as well as a, a full transcript. You know, we've had a lot of really, really interesting uh, guests uh, over the last couple of years. You know, mentioned uh, Malcolm Gilliard, who's a teacher in Las Vegas, Clark County. Had uh, Jennifer Knowles, who is an expert in mindfulness and working with students to develop mindfulness strategies uh, from a social emotional learning perspective had several teachers talking about different things that they do uh, in their classrooms. Some teachers talking about uh, restorative practice, Ellen Montgomery and Laura Fitz, uh, Metro Nashville, just uh, a lot of other teachers like that. And then uh, had some experts uh, like uh, Mark Fredo, co-author of the book, uh, The Art of Kid Whispering. Larry Brentro is going to be in a couple of upcoming episodes. One of the co-authors of the book, Reclaiming Youth at Risk. And Paul Baker, who is the uh, co-author of The Hopeful Brain, which if you ever want a book to learn about what's going on in the, in the mind of a difficult kid, his book explains it in a very, uh, very clear and concise way. So there's just a lot of different resources. We try to add usually about 12 podcasts a year. So there's always something new. Well, I, I'm just, I have loved this conversation with you. I think this idea of, of giving teachers voice, making them part of the dialogue or giving them an opening to be part of the dialogue. I think again, we just need to be careful in this world where it's so easy to be critical. You know, it's so easy to accuse. It's so easy to assume. We really understand the day-to-day -day tasks and difficulties and all the good things a teacher does, but also uh, all the stresses that a teacher faces. So uh, painting that picture for us and sharing their stories is, is something um, that you do well and that we are just honored to be, uh, to know you and to work with you and to have access to that information. So we appreciate you today and hope people will reach out. There will be podcast notes on this podcast. And so they will be able to find you through our website as well, Scott. So thank you very much. Really appreciate you being with us today. All right. Well, thank you so much, Stacey. I've enjoyed it.